98.3 and 98.5. So this is a very special edition of Freaky Fridays for me. Um, I believe that my obsession when it comes to the paranormal, I've always loved anything with ghosts or with spirits or with aliens and UFOs, especially aliens and UFOs, I would attribute to my dad, who I am a carbon copy of. And it's something we've always connected on is just talking about the paranormal. So I was like, I got to have my dad on Freaky Fridays. So my dad is calling in from Maryland, where I'm from. When did you really first start getting into it? I actually uh, was thinking about this morning and when I was in middle school, I bought, uh, I went to a book fair. And, and believe it or not, the first book I ever bought, and this is God's Honest Truth, was um, Chariots of the Gods. And I don't think I bought it because uh, anything other than it, it looked, the title looked interesting and the, and the cover looked interesting. And uh, I had no clue what it, exactly it was about, but I was drawn to the book. It was by a guy called Eric von uh, Danikin, or Danikin, I believe his name is. He's a German author. It, what's it about is a hypothesis of a of ancient technologies and religions being related to alien visitors. The whole series of ancient aliens is kind of spurred off this guy's writings, you know. You know, he researches old uh, Mayan temples and uh, Easter Island and Egyptian things that, you know, basically he thought that the the aliens back in the day thought they were gods coming down, you know, and that's how he described them, you know, the, the fiery chariots and whatnot. That kind of spurred me on as a kid. Believe it or not, the second book of that actually fair that was the second book was a goofy book called "The Boy Who Had ESP." <laughs> and that was a book about a yeah, it was a book about this kid. You know, he was realized he had ESP one day. He was riding on the bus, and the girl was talking about him, and he could hear what she was saying. And I thought it was fascinating, you know, about that. Turns out you he know, had one um, of those speakers in his ears that you could buy. Exactly. <laughs> 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 And, and, as I, and the crazy thing is the twist is the circle is, you know, all the way back to as I've gotten older. I kind of relate aliens and uh, ESP and paranormal activity and monsters and Bigfoot and all that stuff. My, my aunt was in, big into alien, anything unusual, paranormal stuff. She loved it. You know, she was a big Doctor Who fan. I was just about to say. <laughs> yeah. And got into Star Trek. I was a nerd before I knew what a nerd was. Did you ever have a paranormal experience? I, I think I've had actually two. And it was a situation where I was out in the bay, not far away from where I live, and, and with my brother fishing. And it was a beautiful day. We were fishing. The wind's blowing pretty good, but it was coming out of the southeast. And as I'm looking up in the skies, real beautiful, I see this silver circle, and it's going directly against the wind. Against the wind. It, it almost looks like a mylar balloon. And it's going against the rim at a pretty decent little clip. The way you described it, it sounded like a piece of the sky looked different than the rest? Like it was camouflaged? Yeah, it was It was almost camouflaged. It, it, it was very close to the color of the sky, it, 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 but it had a silverish hue that you could occasionally catch a glint of it uh, as the light hit it. Uh, but it was a perfect sphere, and if you didn't know if it was standing still, you would think maybe it's a Mylar balloon, but it's traveling, it's moving, and the ironic thing is it's going the direct opposite direction of the, the, the wind, which you realize at that point this thing is it's moving mechanically. It's, it's not being blown by the wind because it's going against the wind, you know. <laughs> I said to my brother, I said, Chris, do you, uh, do you see that? This was like, yep. I do. I said, uh, what do you think that is? And his 
quick reaction was, he goes, you know, I think it's something that uh, they sent up from Wallops because it's, it's pretty weird looking. What is Wallops Island? Yeah, Wallops Island is a, a test flight facility that's uh, literally only a few miles from the bay. Test flight facility, they, they let off rockets and things, uh, you know, over there. And they have and they have since the 50s and 60s a large radar facility. And they do a lot of test airplanes and things come and go from there. So you'll occasionally see some weird lights in the sky at night and things like that. And you, you always attribute it to Wallops Island. Other than Cape Canaveral, it's the only other uh, on the East Coast place where they can launch large rockets. And it, it, we've seen drones, and even back then, uh, this was 15 plus years ago, before you heard a lot about drones and stuff, I already knew about drones. My brother actually worked at Wilds briefly at a high school. He located uh, power lines and things before they could dig around the, the, the airport. So he saw some kind of you know unusual things. One of the U-2 spy planes and the Blackbird came in one time. But weird enough, my brother takes a lot to get him shook up. You know, he's just, uh, well, I think it's probably something from Wilds. And later we were talking about it. We were, you know, speculating things like that. Later we were talking about it and he cried. <laughs> <laughs> like a baby. Uh, that was my, I guess, the one and only UFO counter. I mean, filed that away, you know. And, and at the time, I still wasn't obsessed with UFOs or anything like that afterwards. But something happened to me that, that kind of changed my mind on everything. You know, thinking back on it, I, I still get goosebumps and everything. And basically, what happened was when I was uh, living in another town, you were just just born, so. <laughs> it was quite a while back, yeah. <laughs> 26 years ago. <laughs> 26 years ago, it's about that time. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not that far back. I was selling cars at the time. I had a bad habit out of high school. I would never lock my car. I would never put my, bring my keys inside. It was just something I never did. I would always throw the keys either above the visor or under the mat. It was just something I did. Yeah. So uh, then I got into a habit of maybe putting them on top of the tires. That was, like, really crafty, you know. Nobody's going to find it there. (laughs) But that's what I did. And Carla, my wife. My mom. Kept getting on me. Hey, look, you know, you should probably put them in the house, whatever. But So I was trying to transition and break myself out of the habit of leaving my keys in the car. I came in that evening, just like any other evening, and went into the house. I thought that that evening I had put the keys under the mat. As normal, I had to be at work the next day by 9 o'clock. I'd get up, and I'd go out to the car about, uh, you know, 8.30. takes about 20 minutes to get into work. I look under the mat. There's no keys. You know, so I look above the visor, no keys. I look above the tire, no keys. And now I'm going, oh, God, what have I done? So I go into the house, and we have a little rack where we put the keys. No keys. You get the picture. So I'm kind of frantically looking in my pants. You have the drill. You look everywhere. You're trying to backtrack. You're thinking about it. Right. Nine o'clock's coming up. I call my boss. I said, "Look, I've lost my keys. I'll be in later." At the time when you're when you're a hundred percent commission salesperson, your managers don't worry about you coming to work on time and things like that as much, you know. And we were friends, so he's like, "Hey, take it all the time you need." So I'm searching the house. You know, I'm going through the house. So I'm just backtracking my steps. And I'm thinking about everything I did the night before, and I'm like, "I would get every." bit of money, I just put it underneath the mat. So I'm looking under the mat. I looked everywhere. Time's ticking away now. It's now getting close to lunch. And I really, I'm racking my brain on this. And I'm, I'm concentrating for all I'm worth. What did I do with the keys? What could have happened to them? 
what case scenario could have happened to these keys? Right, because it's not like anybody would steal the keys and not the car. Yeah, and, and that's going through my mind as well. What would somebody do with the keys and not the car? And, you know, why would they do that? But meantime's coming on. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get some lunch. If I don't, after I eat lunch, there's a pizza place a couple blocks away. I'm going to walk down there, get lunch, come back. If I can't find them after that, I'm going to, you know, find a ride in or just tell my boss I'm not going to make it in today or please send somebody run up a new set of keys to me. Normally, when I go to lunch, which I've done many, many times in a little town that I'm in, I would turn right and go to Good House Down, which leads you right to the pizza place. But for whatever reason, this day I decided not to go right to this mm. Pine Street. Mm-hmm. I decided I was going to go left and go three houses down to this little tiny side street and take this back right. I have no idea why. Something told me to do this. That's what I did. I'm walking down the road. I'm still thinking about the keys. I'm getting ready to take this little side road, and I went, for some reason, decided there was a, the, the third house down. This, there was an elderly, elderly lady, and she had a vacant lot beside her, and in that lot she had a fairly large garden. And in the middle of this garden was a cornfield, a small little patch, I guess you could say maybe eight rows deep. And for whatever reason, I did not decide to go down this little paved road. I decided to cut through her cornfield, which is as disrespectful as you can get. And at the time I was dressed for work, which, you know, back in the day, you know, you had to wear, a, you know, a tie and a white shirt and dress pants to be a salesperson for a car dealership. I'm sure nowadays they drink, dress a little more, uh, you know, casual. But, you know, so I'm walking through a, a cornfield. <laughs> vegetable patch with a tile. It's just crazy. There it is. So I don't don't know what compelled me to do it. Right. For whatever reason, in the middle of the cornfield, I'm about four rows in. Now I'm in the center of it. I look down, and there are my keys. Just everything else kind of vanished except those keys. I had a red uh, round disc. It had the Washington Redskins logo on it with three keys. One was to the car dealership I was at, one was the car keys and one was my house keys. And there it was right there. Bam. I, you know, I, I really can't tell you what or whatever, but it, 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 it's something that tells you when your instincts are telling you to do things, things are leading you somewhere. Like speaking from a skeptic's point of view, how could that have happened? You know, you've lost your keys. Let's say someone did take them. Why didn't they take the car? What would possess them to go through someone's field that this was about a block away? Yeah, well, yeah, it was yeah, almost a full block away. And it's not like you had decided to beforehand no. walk through that field no. and accidentally drop them because, like you said, it'd be super disrespectful. You're walking through someone's garden. And I don't know why but maybe walk through this woman's garden. I, I just I just did. Uh, you know, something told me to do that. And at the time, you know, I, I mean, it just made no sense. But after that, it kind of changed everything for me. Yeah. Maybe something was telling me not to drive the car that morning. You know, I don't know. That is an interesting theory because my next question was going to be looking back on this now. And now you've kind of done some research and you've been looking more into the paranormal. And obviously now we have the Internet. So you can be like, just look, everything's at your fingertips. Do you have a theory as to maybe why the keys were in the middle of the field? You know, I, it's the funny thing is I, that I never focused on as much as what compelled me to walk there. You know, I, I, I and it goes back to the ESP book, and I was always interested in, uh, 
you know, extrasensory perceptions and and how people can foretell the future and things like that. It's like a, a form of intuition that everybody has, and I think it's like, you know, nobody starts out playing piano as a great pianist. You have to practice everything. Anything you do, you have to practice, become good at it. And I think everybody has a form of, you know, uh, of uh, perception that if you are aware of it and you start to develop it, uh-huh. since that that has occurred, I've realize that I, you know, a lot of times I'll know when people are calling, if someone is going to call, who's on the phone, you know, everybody has this, I know it's them calling, but right. I seem to have it a lot, you know, and, and, and a lot of those things. Now, um, yeah, was it for a reason? I and mean, that's a possibility too. That's, that's the whole thing with the paranormal, uh, you know, there's so many rabbit holes you can go down. What, what causes it and why do you have it? Right. I mean, it could be like a, you know, a fate thing. You, maybe you weren't yeah. supposed to drive the car that day. Maybe you could have gotten into an accident and that timeline, you know what I mean, wouldn't have worked. It's just it's freaky to think about going into the whole, uh, you know, ESP thing like you were talking about with the intuition thing. I think we all to some extent experience that in a minor way where, like you said, like uh, the other day, you know, I was going to call you and you were going to call me and we both knew we were going to kind of call each other and we just kind of did it. And we were both thinking about each other at the same time. You know, I feel like a lot of people would say that's just coincidence, which it could be. But maybe if we worked what you're saying is if we worked at it a little more, maybe that's a part of our brains that we're not really utilizing. That's kind of what I think it is. Maybe it's a survival instinct, too. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely been some gut instincts I've had before about people. And then I come to find out that they're not too great. You know what I mean? They later on in life do something. And I'm like, you know what? I never, never really liked that person anyway. Yeah. And you can't explain why. But you just got this gut feeling. So you've always, I always catch you listening to different podcasts or watching YouTube videos or watching. So what is your, what's your thing right now? What's your thing you're really into right now? My, well, my thing, <laughs> my thing right now is, I'm uh, you know, going down the rabbit hole of, uh, you know, the whole UFO phenomenon, which can lead you in all kinds of crazy directions or whatever. But and to be quite honest at this point, to me, a foregone conclusion that there are other life forms out there, I have no doubt in my mind, none whatsoever. Now it's just a matter of kind of checking out the different theories and things like that. I mean, I stumbled across one day after I got my first iPad, Ooh. <laughs> uh, there was a guy out there talking to Phil Schneider, and he was an older guy, and supposedly his background was he had worked for the government, retired 30 years as a geologist, you know, and they dug tunnels and whatnot for the government for underground facilities, and he starts spinning this tale, and I'm telling you, you know, he is, the ironic thing is he's so convincing, maybe to himself as he's telling it, but I'm listening to this whole lecture he's giving, and oh my God, you know, he, he, he tells about how he had uh, gone down this tunnel and gotten to a, a firefight with aliens. I'm kind of taking you quickly into the to the a end. A firefight with aliens. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> and afterwards, I'm just going perplexed because it's, you know, there's bits and pieces that sound very believable. And then there's parts that sound incredibly ridiculous. I quit watching the videos after that because I thought they were ridiculous. But then... It crafted in my mind one theory, maybe 
kind of, it, that has a bit of truth to it, but it's to kind of throw you off. There's just enough truth in there, but basically that's what this was. You know, it was, uh, it, it had an element of truth. He did work for the government. I actually researched his background and found out some things on about him. And the guy, sure enough, and then he had a mysterious death later on, which was very weird as well. So then I, I started, you know, looking more into the uh, UFO things and different people that were speaking on it. But what hooked me was when I heard astronauts, first from the Mercury program, like guys like, uh, you know, um, Edgar Mitchell and uh, Gordon Cooper, and each one of them very convincingly describing why they thought there was aliens and what they had heard about different things. Like, you know, Edgar Mitchell actually had heard through channels about Roswell being true. And I you know, I always thought Roswell was a joke, you know. But here it is an astronaut. And now I'm hearing other astronauts. And then the more I realize, uh, research, almost every astronaut has a story to tell, either an encounter, a sighting, a belief, something. And I'm telling you, when you when you hear astronauts talk about, for whatever reason, as a kid from the '60s and the '70s, you know, the Mercury program that was a big deal. These guys were our heroes. You, you start to believe it again. You know, I, I guess it was Edgar Mitchell was the, the first that I listened to. He was convinced that the aliens had visited us and that they had uh, we had recovered uh, a. a an actual spaceship and bodies. This is what he's saying. I mean, you can look it up and, and hear it in his own words. I guess that was it. it was Edgar Mitchell was what the one, the, you know, the most credible one that I've heard. But when, when you when you research you know, different, uh, there's there's some credible people out there. There's some people out there, you know, that, that you don't uh, just non. Uh, they're in it for the money. They're in it for the sensationalism, and uh, they're not for real. But there is a handful of researchers out there that, that's worth listening to. There's a guy named George Knapp, who's actually a reporter out of um, uh, Las Vegas, who interviewed a guy named Bob Lazar. This has probably been 20 years ago now, but it was about Area 51. And that's how the Area 51 story broke. Before then, really, people didn't know what Area 51 was. Right. But the one that hooked up all these, and there's, there's a lot, the one that if you're going to if you're gonna research one person and, and do it from is a woman named Linda Moulton Howe. She's an investigative reporter. Now, she graduated from Stanford University way back in 1968. She worked for CBS. Uh, she was an environmental reporter, and she reported on environmental issues. That was her feet in Colorado. Uh-huh. And to make a long story short, how she got started was after a couple of years, uh, and she had won a Peabody before then uh, because she had uncovered a um, case where I believe there was uh, there was radiation in the water and, and, and parts of Colorado that she had traced back to the government. Anyway, she won an award. Very credible person and, and great to listen to because she's extremely knowledgeable. She researches these things, and when you listen to her, you can tell she knows what she's talking about. She was called by CBS out on one about this cattle cattle dying, cattle mutilation, this is what it was, and began researching that and spent almost the better part of a year uh, all over, not just Colorado, but, you know, other parts of the, the country. You know, very similar cases every time. They were cows that were found dead in the middle of the field, sometimes one, sometimes several cows. And when they would find them, the, the odd thing about them was there would be no blood. There would be no blood on the fur around the animal or anything, no tracks around them, nothing. Uh, and, and whatever parts that were removed from the animal was all would appear to be surgically done, very precision-like. So and clearly was, not a uh, wild animal. Exactly. You know, no 
the theories had been, and by the way, of all these happening, we're talking thousands, not just in our country, North America, but around the world, not one person has ever been arrested in the act of mutilating one of these animals. But, yeah, it would uh, they would uh, remove an eye and a tongue, but also inner organs. It was most spooky, other than the fact that they're not finding any blood anywhere on the, on the animal. Also, the organs inside would have been removed. Now, you know, you take a cow's heart, the cow's heart's huge. I actually had to dissect uh, dissect not a heart, but a, a cow's eye at one point. <laughs> and I dissected everything in zoology. I loved animals. Imagine my shock when I signed up for zoology and they were like, you must dissect all of these animals now. <laughs> so a cow's heart, okay, huge. Well, not just cow's heart, but this, this actually pertains to humans and other animals as well. Around your heart is a, it's a membrane that uh, covers the heart, and uh, it's called a part, fine membrane that covers the heart. On every case that they found where the heart had been removed, this fine membrane had never not been torn nor opened or anything. It was intact. So somehow the heart came out without removing that. Just uh, finding cows... Just to give a visual, just dead. And then when they look to see what's happened, the heart is just gone. Right. Uh, what would happen is a lot of times a veterinarian, well, they would call the police or the sheriff. They would call in a veterinarian. They would do, uh, most of the time, a autopsy right there on the spot. In a lot of cases, the body was still warm, steam still coming off of it. That's how recently it happened. And yet nobody had seen anything, you know. Happened. It got to a point where she had interviewed uh, this one particular sheriff, and he was just telling her that when the, the veterinarian had left, he said, look, the veterinarian told the sheriff, don't ever call me on one of these cases again because uh, I can't look somebody in the eye or a television crew in the eye and say, you know, what exactly just happened. It makes no sense. And what the sheriff told her at that point was when she said, what is your theory on this, you know? And his theory was, what's happening is, this is has to be creatures from outer space. Wow. And when he told her this, it, yeah, it was literally like a 220 volt to her system. I stopped in the same sense. She has investigated that it's spread out into other things, you know, of that nature. But um, crop circles, uh, you know, um, you know, there's all kinds of things, you know, actual sightings. That's freaky, man. Um, if I wanted to look up more into it, how would, what would that be? What would you need you to look up? Google cattle mutilations, you know. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, ironically, it doesn't just happen to cattle now. I mean, it's happening around the world now to uh, pets, uh, people's dogs, cats. Uh, there's all kinds of animals. It's happening to every kind of animal. But it's now happening more frequently to pets. And it's almost as if something's taunting you know, uh, hey, look, we can do that. Uh, you know, I can do this. And there's nothing you can do to can't catch me, you never see it happening. You know, it's just a very odd phenomenon. So if there is some other creature from outer space, obviously can't be a friendly creature. (laughs) (laughs) These aren't giving the peace sign. Her name is Linda Moulton Howe. H-O-W-E-L-L. Yeah. Linda Moulton Howe. And uh, that's interesting because, well, she actually has a website. It's called Earth Files. Yes. And it's an encyclopedia of bizarre events. Anything you can imagine, uh, you know, 
So it's all in there. And, and that's what she does, environmental things. Like, you know, there's been this, if, you, if you're into strange phenomenon, that's... Uh, you're going over to your alien con now, which I'm super jealous of. That's going to be in November. Is it called Alien Con? It is. Alien Con Baltimore. November 9th, uh, the weekend of November 9th, down to the 11th. It's, uh, they're having an Alien Con in Baltimore. So it's, it's going to be interesting. You know, it's different people. It, it has actually this guy, Eric Von Donovan, uh, that I was telling you about that was great cherry to the gods. The gods are from outer space. He's written quite a few now. But he, he's got to be in his late 80s. I don't know. He's got an old guy, but he's just fascinating to listen to because he's kind of the guy that started all this ancient alien stuff and everything. He's the real thing. Oh, I'm and, uh, so jealous. It's going to be fun. You got to bring me back yeah. like a shirt or something. Like <laughs> I will. <laughs> All right. Thank you for talking with me about your paranormal experiences, Dad. And um, I love okay, you. <laughs> love you too. Happy Thanks birthday. <laughs> yep. Take care. <laughs>